One Makes a Good Life. Since 1938, Harvard University began the longest study on human happiness. They invited 19-year-old sophomores from Harvard, as well as teenagers from the poorest neighborhoods of Boston to participate. For over 75 years, they did interviews, medical tests, and check up on their subjects, over 700 people, every two years to see how they are doing. And what they found about happiness surprised them. Robert Waldinger, a psychiatrist and the fourth director of a Harvard study of adult development, said that while many people tend to think fame, fortune, and hard work will bring them happiness, it's actually our social connections that are more important for our well-being. By the way, his TED Talk, which you can check in YouTube, received over 41 million views. So good relationship make a life happy and healthy. Conversely, loneliness and poor relationships actually kill us. The study shows us it's the quality of a relationship, not the quantity, not the number of relationships. So it's not talking about social butterfly. You know, it's talking about really meaningful relationship. So good life is built by good relationship. Now, one thing. This 75 years old study does not tell us is how to build good relationship. The good news is that our God knows a relationship, especially how to build a meaningful, healthy, good relationship better than anyone. Our God is a creator and the inventor of a relationship. And he gave us his great promise for good relationship in form of a command. Jesus said in Matthew 5.28, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is a perfect. And if you wonder how in the world that I can be perfect like God, listen to explanation of a Thomas Aquinas, the angelic doctor of a church or medieval church. The ways of God, be ye perfect as a heavenly Father is a perfect. Holy Scripture never orders never counsels us to do the impossible. By this word, then the Lord Jesus does not command us to accomplish the very works and the ways of God which no one can attain in perfection. But he invites us to model, model ourselves on them as much as possible by applying ourselves to imitate, imitate them. We can do this with the help of our grace, and we should do so. And as Apostle John says, nothing is more suitable to man than to imitate his creator and to carry out to the degree that is able the will of God. Here Aquinas tells us that God created us to imitate him. And God actually made us in his image to do that. So our desire to be like God is deeply embedded in our being. It's intrinsic desire. So when we become like God, meaning actually loving person, in a perfection of God, if you look at this uh, context of uh, Matthew 7, it's about actually forgiving. We become most healthy and happy. And for that, according to Aquinas, God gave us a models to imitate. First, God sent his son for us to learn and imitate. And then 
Lord Jesus sent his disciples and now us to help other people to learn and imitate. And that's why Apostle Paul came to Thessalonian Christians and commanded them for being a successful imitators of God as we saw last week in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul said, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of a severe suffering with a joy given by the Holy Spirit. So last week we saw Thessalonian church being an exemplary model church in terms of being a good ship to Jesus. You know, the mission of a forest church, actually vision of a forest church is twofold. To be a good ship to Jesus and to be a good shepherd to others. And they go hand in hand. As we follow Jesus and enjoy happy, healthy life, people around us will follow Jesus through us. And we becoming a good shepherd to others. And during the first week of uh, 2000, uh, last week, 2022, in our uh, corporate daily uh, morning devotion called the Daily Breath, we meditated on Psalm 23, verse by verse. And uh, those of you who haven't heard, I really recommend it. Not because, you know, I, I preached on that, but even I learned some new thing. This is a well-known Psalm 23. I've kind of... But uh, there was an incredible gospel truth in Psalm 23. I really recommend you. Those of you new to the forest, this is the, uh, what we call the uh, Vision Casting Sunday. Our, you know, we have a lot of acronyms in our church. So we, we call it FAST Sunday, Forest Annual Strategy Talk. So this is where, it's like a, a State of Union message, except I'm not president. And you are not a you know, Congress or whatever. But together, we are remembering God's vision and mission for our church and renewing our commitment to our Lord. So today, Apostle Paul presents an example of a biblical, exemplary biblical role model for us to imitate. And uh, we're going to read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And... Uh, I have a one goal for my message today, that is to finish it in less than 35 minutes, better in 30 minutes. So you have to help me. And uh, so usually I, I have a, like a structure, but today we don't have structure. I'm going to read and stop and explain and move on because I have a timeline and deadline to meet. So it's a new format. Hopefully you, don't, uh, you stay with me. So let's move on right away. So first one. You know, brothers and sisters, our visit to you was not without result. This is a very positive and confident statement. Paul was so happy and grateful that he's coming to Thessalonians because the result was actually successful. As the Living Bible translates, it was not a failure. And I pray that in 2022, every one of us here also, our life will not, be, will not be without result, but successful. Now, verse 2. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of a strong opposition. According to Acts 16, Paul and Silas actually experienced a mob violence. 
and the unjust, unlawful trial and torture in Philippi after they preached the gospel, actually, and then, you know, exorcised a demon out of a slave girl. And then previous, so that's what happened to Paul in the Philippi, is a city, previous city before he came to Thessalonica. So Acts 16, verse 22 said this, the, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten with a rod, and they had been severely flogged, and they'd been thrown into the prison. The expression treated outrageously in today's verse, in ESB, translated as shamefully treated, shamefully treated. Some New Testament scholars think that Paul and Silas was actually stripped naked for humiliation and punished by flogging. That means they were traumatized. But amazingly, even trauma and PTSD could not prevent Paul and Silas from preaching again. In fact, according to Acts chapter 16, it made them praise God in prison, and God was so moved by their worship that he opened the prison door supernaturally. You know, an important side note is that when you go through trauma, when you go through depression, that's the time to worship God and praise God more than ever. Worship will cast our souls and our vision to God and the heavenly throne and renew us. And the last Monday, we had our first praise and uh, uh, prayer night here. And the times like that, you need to come and worship with us. So Paul was motivated. That, and Paul was... Paul, so. There is something more powerful and stronger than trauma in Paul's heart. That is the love of God and gospel of Jesus Christ. And then when, he, when they came to Thessalonica, things got once again bad. And Paul said he dared to preach the gospel in face of a strong opposition. And Greek word for strong opposition is a polyagony. You know, poly, polytheism, you know, you know, poly. That means that many agonizing, you know, agonies, yet they preached boldly again. So, first role model, principle number one, is that love is a persistent. Love is a persistent. Paul's love is rooted in truth greater than any trauma. Truth of God, who so loves us, they gave his only son for our salvation on the cross, emboldens Paul and Silas, even in great agony and trials. So I have a, let me ask you a question. Have you found the truth worthwhile risking your life and investing everything? What trauma, what opposition have you overcome with a persistent love of God? You know, for us, we committed to house church ministry. And uh, by all means, you know, ask us what house church ministry, if you don't know. And I'm so glad to hear how you pray for uh, our SOS commitment. You know, that's our basic commitment to house church. You know, uh, as first ask is that uh, show up and open up and uh, seek our VIPs. Showing up is the most important step of a ministry. You know, whenever you don't feel like, or even when you feel kind of too down, remember, more than ever, God wants you to be in his presence and with his people. You know, Charles Spurgeon once said, by persistency, snail reached 
the ark of Noah. By persistency, snail reached the ark of Noah. Persistence in God will be never without result, always result in joy and gratitude at the end. You know, this is a, a sports season. Basketball, football, everything is kind of merging together. And we know one thing, that defense wins a championship, right? What is a strong defense? Strong defense is a persistent defense. Defense to the end. And uh, I have a little confession to make. A month ago, I was invited to speak uh, a church for their third anniversary, West Derby here. Small church, half of our size, but they do also house church ministry. Church name is uh, All Nation Fellowship. I highly recommend anyone, seriously. Yeah, next to our, you know, seriously. And then they are recognizing new members, and I heard their membership covenant. And would you believe it? One of their membership covenant was not to miss church more than six weeks, six Sundays a year. I know a lot of our members are missing far more than that. I realized that we are not that great. I felt Forest is a softie, you know. But, and also, as you will hear later, we have a Zoom. You have no excuse, you know. And I know there are a lot of people who actually are actually recovering and then participating us via Zoom. Now, so love is a persistence. Let me move on to verse 3. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to uh, trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted to the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our heart. You know, we never used a flattery, nor did we put on masks to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Now, why does Paul say he did not trick them or use the flattery or put on masks to cover up the greed here? In order to understand that this part of the passage, we must know that Paul was referring to wandering Greek philosophers at the time called the sophists. Sophist literally means uh, wisest. You know, Sophia in Greek means wisdom. So these people claim that we have a wisdom, we are the wisest. Literally, actually, in the culture of the first century, traveling teachers would enter cities and display their oratorical skills through public speeches. It's like a performing artist today. And then seek to attract the students who might pay for their instruction. So they trick people, try the flattery and various measures to see which one is effective so that they can make a lot of money. According to historian, these philosophers for hire were selling their wisdom as a way for financial gain, celebrity status, and even sexual gratification. These sophists were not committed to teaching or seeking wisdom. They were actually cunning, cunning conmen. And uh, Diochrysosom, a contemporary Greek philosopher of Paul's time, lamented in this way. To find a man who in plain terms and without guile speaks his mind with a frankness, neither for the sake of reputation nor for gain, but out of goodwill and concern for his fellow men. 
to find such a man as that is not easy. So Paul was alluding to such a situation and seek to differentiate himself from other wandering philosophers. And the Apostle Paul declared that he did not have impure motives and greed like a sophist. Rather, he told them his motive is pure and has a one goal. That one goal is to please God. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. So here it is. Paul's love, second principle, is a pure. Paul's love is, you know, we need to imitate not just a persistent love of Paul, but a pure love of Paul. And Paul lived this life, this you know, mindset of conviction, called it audience of a one. Audience of a one. Paul's main concern was not, to, not how many people liked him, but how much God was pleased with him. It did not matter to him even if a million people were crazy about his teaching. If God was not happy with him, Paul was deeply troubled. Paul's singular motive was the pleasure of God. And that's what made a Paul a great man in history. Who knew this middle-aged, wandering Jewish rabbi was a game-changer in Western civilization? Whoever guessed this troubled and troublemaking Jewish rabbi, not so handsome, and actually, you know, accounts is ugly, persecuted by his own people, was a great missionary, church planter, and most influential writer of the New Testament. What made Paul great? He wanted to please God more than anyone. And Paul said, it is God who tests our heart. So Paul's heart in God's hand. And he wants to pass God's test and approval for his heart. How is your heart? You know, I have a heart overdue heart MRI in two weeks for my congenital heart aneurysm. So my doctor is my cardiologist. He said, Paul, you are, it's overdue four years. You need to do. We need to find out whether, you know, it grew, your, your, your aneurysm grew. Do you know the condition of your heart? Do you know how to know how, how you can assess the condition of your inner heart? Ask yourself, who holds my heart? Do I have an audience of one or audience of many? If anyone or anything else other than God holds your heart, you will be restless, always tired, hungry, no matter how much you achieve and attempt. Our heart is created and made by God for God and Him alone because God is our true love. Now, I'm tempted to make a commercial that will take a cornerstone Bible study. It's already, you know, booked this one. But next one, I'm going to actually, since we have so many new people, I'm maybe offer another one in the next months. Because, yeah, anyway, you take a cornerstone. You think God loves you. You don't know squat about God. God is crazy about you. Anyway. Now, in order to differentiate his ministry from impure enterprise of sophists, and to protect the integrity of gospel, Paul did not charge them any money. He taught the gospel free of charge. What does that mean? Look at the verse 7. Instead, we were like a young children among you, and just like a nursing mother cares for your child, uh, her children. 
So we care for you because we love you so much. We are delighted to share with you, not only with the gospel of God, but our life as well. And verse 9, surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone. That means financial burden to anyone. While we preach the gospel, you are witnesses, so is God, of how holy, righteous, blameless we were among you who believe. In order to give a gospel free, Paul worked as a tent maker and supported himself and his missionary team. Apostle Paul was the first known as bivocational missionary or minister. Han, is he here? Okay, Han, okay. Ask Han. You know, Han is a former uh, missionary in northern Iraq. He served there for eight years. And um, first time that when he tried to really, you know, reach out to the people, and then he, they asked him, what do you do? What's, what are, what, what's your job? And when he said, I'm a missionary, they have no clue what missionary is. They have a hard time for people to explain about missionary. So he realized, he said, in order to make a connection with these people, I need to have a regular job. So, Paul, uh, so Han started his own computer business and actually fulfilling monthly financial support from the mission agency. He became a bi-vocational missionary. You know? That's why you know, I seriously, I'm kind of putting him on the spot, but I respect Han. I'm, I've met many, many missionaries, many, many missionaries. I'm very weary and critical of missionaries because majority of them are con men. Yeah, I said it in the pulpit. I've been duped by missionaries. I lost a lot of church money on the false missionaries. So when it comes to, you know, uh, uh, partnering with a missionary, I go triple extra critical because I don't want to squander God's, you know, money. Now, Paul was very careful about receiving financial gifts and support from others. Later today, after the, you know, during our, we will have a financial report. So finance matters to church and our faith. So Paul did not feel guilty about, he didn't feel guilty or anything wrong about receiving his own dues. And actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul actually uh, uh, kind of protested the Corinthians that don't we have the right to food and drink? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink milk? We have, if we sow the spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have a right, to, right of support from you, shouldn't we also have it all the more as a founding pastor? So Paul was not, you know, he's not, feel, he's, he's not guilty about getting paid. Paul, something is more important than his right. That is the integrity of gospel and the heart of his flock. For Thessalonians to receive the free grace of God, Paul sacrificed his right as a pastor and suffered and gave a gospel and his life freely without any charge. And so, once again, love is pure and, I might say, free. I want to say this, free love, Free love does not mean cheap. You know, we kind of think a free thing is a cheap. Free is not cheap. You know what free means? Somebody else kind of paid it. Somebody covered your cost. 
That is the free. Okay? So free doesn't mean cheap. Gospel is free, but cost the life of God's son. It's not cheap. Uh, if you are new to forest, take advantage of our members. When they invite you to uh, boba tea, after we have a usually fellowship, please go and make sure they pay for you. You know, if they don't pay for you, tell them, hey, Pastor Paul said it's free. That's why I came here. You know, that's our tradition. So, yeah, you invite me, then I, I'll pay. Definitely, you know, you know, take me along. You know, I'll definitely I'll pay. It's a great honor to share free love because we receive the most free love, costly love from God. Now, Paul here, my third and the main point, actually, is that Paul expresses a hurtful Thessalonians in a very special term. In the verse 7, he said, we were like a young children among you. That means innocent, pure, you know, heart. And also, he said, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. He was not just pure, but he was also very deeply personal like a nursing mother. This expression, nursing mother, is a very profound and radical to, you know, term to describe Paul's commitment and love to his people. And uh, to, so to see the Paul's radical humility, let me quote uh, Beverly Gaventa, a distinguished professor of the New Testament at the Baylor Graduate School of uh, Religion. And actually, she is my teacher at Princeton Theological Seminary. And in her commentary to Thessalonians, she said this, Apostle Paul was a radical disciple of Jesus Christ who voluntarily hands over the authority of a patriarch and identified himself with the subordinate role of a female in a society where female-identified male was subject to ridicule. God's amazing love humbled Paul so much that he didn't mind saying, I'm a nursing mother to you. Where all other, you know, Greek philosophers, they would say, what did you say? Paul said, no. When it comes to love, you know, no humility is a, you know, humble, you know, loving others like a nursing mother is a great, great privilege and honor. And uh, so Paul didn't mind it being a compared to a nursing mother. And a little bit we need to know about nursing mother. Greek term for nursing mother is a tropos. And uh, it came from the word trophe, which, which means a food or nourishment. So literally, trophe or nursing mother is a feeder, a nourisher. In Greco-Roman world, rich aristocratic fem- families hired the nursing mothers or wet nurses to feed their infants. Greco-Roman upper-class mothers did not breastfeed their babies because they thought the initial milk or what they call colostrum were unhealthy. They thought it was unhealthy and disgusting, almost like a mucus. So they thought it's not good for the babies to eat, you know, drink a mucus. How ignorant they are, right? So they threw away their critical nutritious milk and many failed to lactate afterwards. As a result, they have to employ lactating mothers, usually slaves to feed their infant. Actually, they don't just hire any wet nurse, carefully select and use the very healthy 
and uh, you know, very healthy wet nurses because the life of an infant was completely dependent on quality of wet nurses' milk. Infant mortality in the first century was high. Experts estimated that 30% of babies did not make it to the, their first birthday. Now, what happens to the babies of these wet nurses? They were usually fed by lesser wet nurses, or they have to wait until their mother returns. And I couldn't find, uh, you know, I had a, you know, I, I had a picture in the book, and uh, I tried to find that in online and couldn't find. And uh, also, feeding child is a social thing that a lot of social activity that many people kind of watched you doing the job when, uh, uh, when nurses doing job. For a number of reasons. One, everyone loves a newborn and they want to see how he or she is doing. And number two, it's an important job. They want to make sure that you are really feeding right. You know? So imagine if you're a nursing mother and you're a little one waiting in the home. You're feeding somebody else's child while your child is hungry and waiting. In your back of our mind, I say, I wish I'm going to save a little. I, I hope my junior master, you know, my baby master, you know, fall asleep soon so I can, I can return to my child. Here, through this analogy, analogy of a nursing mother, Paul was saying that love is a profoundly personal. Profoundly personal. You know, Paul could use the other Greek word, matera, which is mother, but he intentionally used trophy to convey how much intensely and personally he cared for his people. Here, Paul was, you know, Paul later is saying that we love you so much that we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our life as well. That was not exaggeration. And uh, this is a shepherd's heart. Parents, I think most parents, I'm speaking of parents' perspective. We have, a, I think I have, at least I have a guilty feeling. I wish I could be a better parent to my children. I very often feel my parenting was not good enough. And it actually, you know, when it comes to spiritual parenting, parent, you know, nourishing God's children, it, it got worse. And then my pastor once told me that being a pastor is like a poor, desperate father who has many children to feed and take care. And uh, he's absolutely right. There is a constant struggle and feeling of inadequateness and inability and spiritual poverty in me. I wish I can speak better. I wish I have known more. I wish I have a call more. I wish I prayed more. You know, I feel like my milk is running out. And my breast is not big enough to nourish God's children. And let me tell you how I overcome that inadequateness at the conclusion. But let's read our last you know, passage today. Verse 13. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, and you accepted, oh, I already passed 30 minutes, you accepted it not as a human word, but as actually is the word of God, which is indeed a work in you, you believe. 
for you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which is in Christ Jesus. You suffer from your own people the same thing. Those churches suffered from Jews. Paul was so happy that Thessalonians were receiving and sucking the gospel milk and grew healthy and strong enough to withstand persecution. And Paul was affirming that you Thessalonian Christians, you successfully imitated the mother church of Jerusalem. Like a daughter, like mother, you are faithful to God even against the persecution. And then my final role model, you know, principle number four is a love is a powerfully persuasive. Love of God is a more powerful than any pandemic. For me, it is the ultimate perfect positive pandemic that makes us healthy and happy. You know, New Testament churches, they were committed to each other persistently, purely, and profoundly personally, and pervasively. That's what the biblical church and the healthy, true, healthy, happy Christian life that God calls us. And we want to commit this vision of a biblical church instead of a cultural church made in contemporary American religious consumerism. So we trust and obey and follow God's vision. And we will be happier and healthier. And amazingly, others will see following God is the way to go. So they, can, they, they will imitate us as we imitate God. You know, great news about becoming role model. Now I'm concluding, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat the 35 minutes mark. The great news about becoming role model for others to imitate is that we are not doing it alone. We're not doing it all by ourselves. We are doing with the Lord, and He is our good shepherd. When we step out of our comfort zone in our inadequateness and follow His lead, the Lord will guide and transform us. So if you feel you are so inadequate, you know, that's absolutely normal. Who am I to inspire the people and the other people to imitate? You know, if you feel you are nothing but a five loaves and two fish, using a biblical metaphor, and in front of you, there are multitudes, thousands of people to feed. Don't worry. If you, as long as you're in Jesus' hand, Jesus will multiply and feed people. My testimony about being a pastor, it was a Jesus who worked, came through for me. He worked with me and worked through me. It's a Jesus. He's my shepherd. He just, you know, used me as a junior deputy shepherd. That's how we serve God. And I pray through the challenging struggle, challenges and struggles of serving God together, 2022, more than anything, we know Jesus' heart. Let's pray.